Man, we're blessed to live here, right? What is it, like 80 degrees right now and in winter? All right. Well, welcome, welcome. And, uh, you know, if you've been with us for a bit, uh, we have a unique way of doing meet and greet. So we have two parts. Part one is you get to smile and wave and say good morning and hello to those around you, socially distanced, of course. So uh, why don't you go ahead, turn around, put a smile on your face and just say hello to, to everyone around you. And then part two, uh, there you go, Candy. Thank you, Candy. Uh, part two is uh, Isaac's on camera one, and he's going to pan that, and everyone gets to say good morning to everyone at home and on the live stream. So there you go. Well, good morning. It is, uh, it is great to see many of you. Man, we have like... The family bleachers back there. Man, look at that. Let's give it up for all the kids that are here. That is incredible. Welcome. Um, You know, it's funny because as we move forward, uh, I've told the leadership team we literally have to take it week to week. Uh, Things happen and, uh, you know, we're still in the midst of the pandemic and uh, it is cold and flu season after all. And uh, sometimes we forget that. Oh, yeah, people were getting sick every year. And so, um, you know, we just celebrate. We really, truly celebrate uh, everyone who can be here in person. We love being here in person. And again, if you're uh, with us online live stream, welcome. Uh, It's been incredible to see the live stream church family grow uh, from San Diego all the way up north. Where where is it again? Redding, um, all the way up north and east. So uh, welcome. We are the church and it is good to be together once again. You know, as I was thinking through uh, where we are as a country, and even as a church, uh, especially with the upcoming transition in Washington and everything, uh, you know, there's a word that's come up uh, repeatedly to kind of uh, describe these times uh, as I've had discussions with a lot of people, and that word is shaking. Uh, There's been a shaking uh, all the way probably when the pandemic started last March and then through the election time. Uh, a shaking in the church, a shaking in the country, and, and a shaking really in the world. And then if you kind of go out of those groupings, uh, I'm guessing that some here and some on the live stream, uh, you may have felt kind of a deep shaking, and maybe to the foundation level, maybe to the level where you're kind of at this place where you're like, wow, Lord, do I really believe what I be- say I believe? Is my name really written in the book of life? Am I really good to go? Right? Do you really work all things for the good, Father? Nothing will separate me from your love. Right? This has been a time of, of, in the shaking, a time of deep reflection for many in the church. And I was thinking of that in light of, uh, you know, as we take this one week at a time. And, and then I was thankful that, that we're in the book of Ephesians. Because if there's one book that can really, for you and for us as a church, really drive some deep stakes of, in the foundation of your faith, uh, it's the book of Ephesians. And uh, I would encourage you, if you haven't been with us, maybe go back and, and uh, look at the past uh, Sundays where we uh, started in Ephesians, we're in Ephesians 5. Uh, but I really want to encourage you, okay? It's a great very practical book where we are now in Ephesians 5, moving into 6. Uh, 
if you're a little bit shaken, if you're a little bit scared, nervous, anxious, depressed, bummed out, discouraged, angry, all of the above, anyone? All of the above, right? I don't know what I left out. Um, sometimes what you need to do is you need to take a deep breath, you need to turn off the TV, you need to turn off the computer, right? And you need to just sit before the Lord. And you got to come back to the basics. What do I believe? Who am I in Christ? What's already true? Okay? And, and eliminate a lot of the distractions that are out there. Because how many of you, all it takes is one thing that you see or read and it sends you into a... <laughs> one thing. One thing, not a lot of things, just one thing. You're like, oh, here we go again, right? And, and I thought I got out of that rabbit hole, and I'm right back in the rabbit hole, right? Uh, what you need to do sometimes when things are shaking and it looks crazy and you're in the midst of a storm, you just need to, need to go back literally to the basics. That's why I love the boot camp. For many of us who have been in, uh, in the church for decades, you, you, know, you know the scriptures, sometimes you have to go back to boot camp when you're feeling shaken. And there's no better place to be than the book of Ephesians for that. So I want to encourage you, okay? Wherever you are, uh, I sh- I've said it the last two Sundays, one of the things very practical that you can do, and many of you are doing it, and some of you at live stream, many of you, you got to drive the stake in the ground even regarding the church. Your commitment to the church, as much as you can be here in person, as much as you can carve out uh, Sundays at 10 a.m. live stream, one thing you can do, just, just be committed to the body of Christ. Amen? Amen. Right? That's foundational. It's foundational. We need each other. In fact, in Corinthians, it says one part of the body can't say to the other part, I don't need you. And again, in times of turmoil, in times of shaking, we, we can turn inward in fear and in discouragement and in anger, and then we just become sort of isolated. And then now it's even harder to come to church on a Sunday morning. Then it's even harder to turn it on because you're just wrapped up in isolation. I really want to encourage you, uh, to drive a stake in the ground, okay? Whether it's at this church, another Bible teaching church, you have to stay committed to the body of Christ. We need each other, amen? So turn to the person next to you and say, I need you. Go ahead, I, I need you. Turn around behind you, just so you know, just turn around and say, I need you. I need you, right? Because we're, right, literally, we're all in this together. It, it affects everybody. So, um, just be at ease, but drive the stake in the ground. Sometimes you, gotta, you just got to commit. Amen? So let's make, let's make that commitment and let's make the best of it. And so we're going through Ephesians. And Ephesians 4.1 says, I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. So as believers, the Apostle Paul says, hey, your life if it's going to be in a manner worthy, lived in a manner worthy of the calling, it should be in balance. Your behavior, your beliefs, your conduct, your creed, right? And so chapters 4, 5, and 6 we've seen have been very practical. How should we live in a manner worthy of our calling as believers? The last few weeks, uh, we've been uh, looking at biblical submission, okay? There's that S word, right? Last time, and then, ooh. So I'm going to say biblical submission, and everyone go, ooh, Ready? I didn't even say it, and you said, all right. <laughs> okay. Submission. Right? Okay. So last week we had fun with it because you kind of have, you, you kind of got to take the edge off, right? Because we saw last week that when you understand 
biblical submission, uh, it's actually a very good thing. Amen? Right? And last week, we, we tried to peel back a lot of the misconceptions and a lot of the false beliefs out there. What have we learned so far? If we're going to submit to one another, because remember in verse 21 of chapter 5, we're to submit to one another. So he starts off submission that we're to submit as the church to one another in the church. Many people go right to the wives part of it. We forget that, okay, turn to the person next to you and smile because you're supposed to submit to them. Go ahead. Go ahead. If you're in the church, right? He says, he says submit to one another. Okay, now, we, we know uh, from verse 18 that it's going to be a work of the Holy Spirit. Amen? amen? Right? We got a big amen from Linda, right? Amen. <laughs> going to be a miracle of the Lord. <laughs> Submit to this man next to me. Right? So we got an amen from Linda that it's a work of the Holy Spirit, <laughs> a work of God, Right? And then we saw last week, we really focused that if we're going to submit to one another and in the context of the marriage, if the wife is going to biblically submit to the husband, it really flows out of our covenant submission to God. Amen? We have to understand, and we spent a lot of time last Sunday on the word covenant, and we understand that when we put our faith in Christ, we enter a new covenant relationship, and in that new covenant relationship, we are submitted to the will of Father as revealed in the Word of God. If we are struggling this way, we are going to struggle this way. Right? If I'm struggling with God in submitting and surrendering and walking in faith and obedience, walking in the Spirit, just in my personal life, how much more am I probably going to struggle with an imperfect, fallible human being sitting next to me? (laughs) <laughs> right, right, Dale? All right. So, so we looked at that covenant. We looked at, man, we, we have got to understand before we get bent out of shape about what we think biblical submission is. Whoa, time out. How did you do this week here? If you're here, how did you do at home? How did you do with biblical submission vertically this week? Is there an area in your life where You know, I was talking with Bill. In the church, we we come up with these words, and you know, it's my struggle. It's my cross to bear. Where really, if we were just honest, what we're saying is, Lord, I don't really want to submit. Sure, I'm struggling with it, but it's really an issue of the will. It's really a choice we can make. And so just think about this week, or maybe as you're sitting here, is there an area of your life where, honestly, God wants to grow you, sanctify you, transform you, and the next step is submission. You got to give it up, right? You got to surrender that area. And that's really the killer. So it's got to be of the spirit. It's got to be really, if we're going to submit this way, it's got to be submission vertically. And then uh, we're going to look at uh, just review, a quick review, verses 22 to 24. Okay, we looked at it last week. It says this, wives submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, And is himself its savior. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. So, we looked at this biblical submission in the context of marriage last Sunday. And just a quick review Uh, remember, the word for submission is hupatasso. Hupatasso means I voluntarily choose to place myself under authority. Okay? Biblical submission is not the same word as obey. 
Very important, okay, because in the next passage it says children obey your parents. A lot of people think submit equals obey. obey. It's not. Submit is hupatasso, obey is hupakuo, okay? Very important. So submit doesn't, you know, I mean, when wives submit, it means wives are not doormats, amen? Right? Wives are not to be bossed around, okay? It's hupatasso. Wives voluntarily choose to place themselves under the authority of the husband as God designed it, okay? We also saw that in the culture, this was absolutely mind-blowing revolutionary because in the Roman, Greek, and Jewish culture, women were treated as property. No rights, legal system, dominated by men, favored men. Women had very little, if any, legal recourse. So that's the culture, and into that, God, through the apostle Paul, says, hey, Men and women, from now on, in the, the view of marriage is that you're equal. You are to be treated 100% equal. In that culture, there would have been an uproar, right? And a lot of people have this, this weird idea that the, culture's, the, that the church is very oppressive and everything. They don't understand church history. This is stunning. To apply hupatuso to women and bring them on equal footing in that culture was absolutely revolutionary. Culture changing. Culture changing, right? Uh, Dr. Wayne Barber says this, Hupatasso, the word used for wives to husbands, is the word that talks about two people who are absolutely equal in God's eyes. Totally equal. There is not one level of inferiority of one to the other. But the wife makes a choice to place herself as an equal underneath another equal, her husband, in order that there can be order and function in the family. The whole purpose of it is so that it meets the design that God has already ordered. It's just God's way of doing it, right? And we saw in those verses, that's how the church submits. To Christ is the head. If you look in the scriptures, this is how Jesus submits to his Father's will. So you see submission in the Trinity, you see submission in the church and how it functions with Jesus as the head, and he's saying, this is how a marriage should function, okay? Where it says, uh, submit, wives submit as to the Lord, let me tell you what that doesn't mean. Gentlemen, it does not mean you are the Lord, okay? That, that, that's not what that means, right? Got an amen again, right? It does not mean that you are the Lord, when it says submit as to the Lord, it means, wives, you, you submit to your husbands as an act of love for the Lord. Okay? Again, it's a vertical. Your submission to your husbands comes out of a love relationship. Your personal relationship with the Lord results in a horizontal submission to your father, I mean to your husband, right, as the father created it. Okay? Very important also to understand the way that God created marriage uh, with an authority structure, headship is not dictatorship. Very important, right? People think, oh, you know, I'm the, I'm the head, and you gotta, you gotta listen to me. No, right? I've heard before, right? The man says, I'm the head of the, I'm the head of this marriage, right? And the wife says, no, and and I'm the neck, and I turn the head wherever I want it, <laughs> right? See, if we don't. If we don't get it, and if we don't submit to Father's plan, what happens? Conflict. It becomes a power struggle. It becomes a power struggle. Now, I know, honestly, for you here and those at home, not a popular teaching, 
kind of goes against the grain, but I'm hoping that it, putting in the context of church history that there's an element of celebration. There's an element of celebration that Father created marriage, He created the home, and He kind of knows what He's doing. Amen? Okay? We got to trust. It's an element of faith as well. Okay? And in fact, I've been in ministry for about 30 years, and I got to be honest with you. Most of the challenges, the conflicts that happen in the church and in families really come back to the challenge of submission. It really comes down to submitting. Most of the counseling when I was a youth pastor for 10 plus years, family pastor, even as a senior pastor, most of the conflicts, most of the challenges in the church in general and then in families, whether it's husbands, wives, whether it's wives and kids, it's really rooted in somebody is having a hard time submitting to God in an area. And that, that angst and that conflict with God is simply manifesting itself in conflict at the human level. Okay? It's, that's, it's really important that you understand. If you're in conflict, right, maybe in your house, maybe you have conflict in your marriage right now, maybe you have conflict with someone in the church, first order, don't try to fix them. Right? I've had years and years of counseling where couples want to come into the office and by golly, if I'll just fix their spouse, they'll be good to go. Right? And they come in and they're locked and loaded with their list of everything I should do to tell the husband to get fixed and how the wife can get fixed. And if you'll just do this, thank you very much. But it's never them. Right? And so we have to be very careful. If you're in conflict, first step, Father, Am I in conflict with you? Is the root of this issue something in my heart? Okay? Because it's real easy to turn it on to the other person. It's really easy to blame shift. If only you, things would be better if you would just. And all the while, Father's like, no, check yourself. You got to check yourself. Okay? And so that's kind of in a nutshell what biblical submission is. Uh, and, and the Apostle Paul is speaking to wives, okay, in those passages. Uh, this morning, we're going to move forward, and the Apostle Paul is now going to speak to husbands. So I'm going to say the Apostle Paul is now going to speak to husbands, and all of you go, da da da. Okay, ready? So the Apostle Paul is now going to speak to husbands. <laughs> right? da 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 Right? Because... Because, again, if you're familiar with this passage, right, most of us hear the, the 22 to 24, and we kind of get uh, that we hear the, the submission, and it's like Charlie Brown, and everything goes wah-wah, wah-wah, wah, cause, or doo, because after you hear submission, if you didn't understand it biblically, you just can't hear anything else. You just can't. My prayer for you ladies, for wives, um, is that you may have a, oh, man, if my husband followed the Lord in that, I would love to place myself under that headship, right? It would be, that, that, that would be lovely, right? That would be great. And, and men, I'm going to challenge you this morning not to check out. <laughs> Don't check out on me um, because uh, you're going to have to hang in there. And I, I'm going I'm to be very honest with you um, why this is very challenging because I was thinking about it. And this goes back to my observations and experiences in 30 years of organized church. Uh, here's, here's why it's challenging, men. In my 30 years of working with the church, it is not uncommon that 
wives and moms take the spiritual leadership in the homes. And men tend to be very passive. You can even call it lazy. And they're supportive. But in the home, the women tend to be the drivers, tend to be the spiritual leaders, tend to be the ones that take initiative. And, and this, these verses, 25 to 27, it flips it on its head, guys. It really flips it. And again, you, you know, ladies, if, if submitting had to be a miracle of the Lord, I'm going to tell you right now, what you're about to encounter as a guy has to be a miracle of the Lord. <laughs> to lead your family in the context of this, your marriage, biblically, will take a miracle of the Lord. It's a supernatural empowering, right? And so, ladies, just to help you, as much as that submission is, is like, ugh, these passages for men are like, just as much and needs just, a mark, uh, just as much a work of the Holy Spirit. So in verses 25 to 27, he says, Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. So in verse 25, husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Wow. That statement right there, absolutely life-changing, but also absolutely requiring a supernatural work of God. See, if you've been in the church any length of time, you know, Jesus came down from heaven, we sing about it, we, you know, know John 3, 16, and sometimes we get numb to the radical truth of what that meant when it says in Philippians, he emptied himself and made himself a man and came down. We have no concept of what that meant for Jesus to empty himself and take the form of a man for our sake. And husbands... If you can spend time and wrap your mind around what Jesus did in coming to this planet to do that, it might help you begin to grasp the nature of what you are called to do in your homes and how you're supposed to love your wives, right? We call it agape love, which is self-sacrificial. So husbands, first thing you need to do is you have to have sacrificial love. And agape love is self-sacrificial for the benefit of the person being loved. When I agape love someone... Betty, when I demonstrate agape love to you, I will self-sacrificially give you my time, my resources, my energy, 100% for your benefit, and here's the key, not expecting anything in return. Not expecting anything in return. So gentlemen, if we're to love our wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, we're to agape our wives. We are to self-sacrificially lay down our, our lives for the benefit of our wives, expecting nothing in return. Now, that's challenging because in, in my marriage and, and maybe in yours, how many of you tend to keep score? <laughs> well, I'll do this and this, and I gave you this and this, and I'm trying to work the system because I want to go play golf. <laughs> right? 
And so what appears to be very self-sacrificial and very servant-oriented, oh, husband, you cleaned, you vacuumed, that's great. And she doesn't know I'm waiting to ask if I could go bike riding with Tyler. You know, I'm like, huh? can, by the way, hon, can, can I go out with the fellas? <laughs> you know, that's the flesh, amen? How many of us, you know, we tend to work the system because it gets, we get a benefit out of it. Agape love is, nope, it's all this way. It's all this way. For your benefit, nothing expected in return. That's got to be a work of God. Amen? That's got to be a work of God. Uh, well, actually, in Galatians 5.22, it's called the fruit of the Spirit. So if you're going to do it, it's got to be a fruit of the Spirit. Uh, 1 Corinthians 13.4 and 5 defines love. Love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. Woo! How many would like to live in a home with that definition of love? Right? That's why it's got to be a work of the Spirit, because biblical love, agape love, means death to self. You got to die to yourself, and you got to be in the Spirit, and you got to say, Lord, I need you supernaturally to help me to love my wife in the same way that Jesus loved the church and died for the church. Gentlemen, that's, that's a choice. This comes down to a choice, right? And then you come into, well, what's in it for me? And what do I get out of it? And how come I have to do all the self-sacrifice? You know, what, what, what? Because God said. That's the way he designed it. This is spiritual leadership. Spiritual leadership is rooted in sacrificial love. Sacrificial love. And then it says, it's interesting, he says, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. So he's saying, you know what? Christ's love for the church, his bride, is designed to sanctify her, to mature her, Right? And gentlemen, question, is your heart for your wife, for her to be more godly? Think about this. We're not just supposed to have sacrificial love. Gentlemen, we are to have sanctifying love. Sanctifying love, which means, am I loving my wife in such a way that she is becoming more godly? Christ-like. Isn't that interesting? When was the last time as a husband you said, Father, can you please give me a vision? Can you please show me where my wife is spiritually? Can you show me the areas that she needs to grow in that I can help her grow in? And see, this is really challenging. Why? This is why I, I said this, is, this particular passage is, is very challenging for men because usually... The women in the families are the spiritually proactive ones. They're the ones, you know, you come to the husband and say, well, you know, so-and-so, they they give the rundown on all the kids and what the issues with the kids are and and all this kind of stuff. And men, we tend to be passive. We go, "Uh uh uh-huh, uh-huh, uh-huh. I'll talk to them. Uh Uh-huh, uh-huh. You know, and and we're, we're not as proactive in assessing spiritual needs in the home. And so... This sanctifying love, guys, we have to have a heart for our wives that says, Father, 
Will you help me love her in such a way that she's growing spiritually? Would you, would you help me love her in such a way that she's becoming more and more like Jesus? That's a powerful, that's a powerful kind of like transformative way to view your role in your home, right? And again, why is this challenging? Because even if you're married and you have kids, here's the thing. Even as a parent, we tend to focus our energies on the spiritual well-being of our kids. How's so-and-so doing? And how's so-and-so? And I hope they go to camp and know the Lord and write this. But somewhere along the line, and I don't know why this happens, when, when even a husband and wife, two believers get married, somewhere along the line, we don't emphasize the fact that you should each be helping each other grow spiritually. Somehow we go to church and we assume each person is growing spiritually, but it, according to this passage, it begins at home. It begins in the house. So husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church, and then love her in, with a sanctifying love. So let me ask you guys a very real question. When was the last time you thought about the spiritual well-being of your wife? The spiritual well-being. How is she doing spiritually? Is she struggling with an area? How is she doing spiritually, right? So husbands, we're to love our, lives, uh, love our wives sacrificially. We're to love them with a sanctifying love, right? Warren Wiersbe says this. The love of the husband for his wife ought to be cleansing her and him so that both are becoming more like Christ. Even their physical relationship should be so controlled by God that it becomes a means of spiritual enrichment as well as personal enjoyment. The husband is not to use his wife for his own pleasure, but rather is to show the kind of love that is mutually rewarding and sanctifying. The marriage experience is one of constant growth when Christ is the Lord of the home. Love always enlarges and enriches, while selfishness does just the opposite. Right? Powerful vision of the home. Like, transformative vision of your home. And you can start this right now. And here's the other thing, too. I want to encourage you, because maybe not everyone is married right now, and you're like, well, you know, I'm really hanging, I'm trying hard to hang in here. This is really important for those, even if you're not married, because God might use you to bring some biblical counsel to people you know who are married, right? Whether it's a wife struggling with submission or a husband struggling with loving his wives biblically. Even if you're not married, I want to encourage you Seek the Lord with this, because God might have you be the counselor. It doesn't always have to come to the pastors. This is important for you, or if you're going to have kids that are married, you, you're, you're the church. You can speak the truth to them about God's plan for marriage, okay? And so, so husbands, you're like, well, well, how do I do that? That's, that's crazy. I'm supposed to love my wife sacrificially like Jesus, and I'm supposed to love her with a sanctifying love? You want me to proactively engage and initiate for her spiritual well-being, that she becomes more and more like Jesus? How do I even do that, right? How many guys are kind of like, if you're honest, you're like, how do I do that? You'd you like, you like a little help, right? Because we're like very simple. Like, what's the instructions? What, how do I start? That sounds, right? I mean, guys, we're just kind of like that, right? What, what do I do? Okay. Well, here's the cool thing. In the next passage, he tells you how to do this. 28 to 33. He says, in the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. 
for no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church, because we are members of his body. Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound, and I am saying that it refers to Christ and the church. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. Okay, guys, so, so here's the big how. How do I do this, right? In the same way husbands should love their wives as their own bodies, let each one of you love his wife as himself. Okay, here's the how, but it's going to be kind of painful. He says, husbands, I want you to think about how much time you spend caring about yourself. How much concern, how much do you nourish and cherish yourself? How much do you think about what you want, what you need, what you'd like? And he says, husbands, all of that time and energy you are expending on yourself, do that for your wife. That's the starting point. He says, basically, you know what? It's a given, guys that you're nourishing and cherishing yourself and you're looking out for number one, the way that you sacrificially love your wife, the way that you are concerned about her in a sanctifying way, all of that energy going into yourself, focus it on her. That's what it comes down to. That's what he's saying in that passage, right? We all take care of ourselves. And he says, now, husbands, the same way that you take care of yourself, the same way you nourish and cherish your body, you got to be as concerned about her well-being and her interests and her needs. Okay? That's where that's, that's how. That's the how. Now, here's the, here, here's the crazy thing. If you're not married this morning, you're not off the hook. Because this same type of love applies to everyone in the church. Because... Uh, you know, the first commandment, they said, Jesus, what's the greatest commandment? He says, hey, love God with your whole being, right? And then he says the second, the second greatest commandment in Matthew twenty two thirty nine. he says, and the second is like it, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Now, there's a lot of uh, incorrect teaching on that, right? Some people flip that and says, well, uh, uh, well, look at it. It says that I have to learn to love myself before I can love you. That's the, that's the wrong way to interpret that. Many people turn, oh, see, I have to spend time just learning to love myself, then I'll be able to love you. That's not what the verse says. The verse assumes that you love yourself. And he says, as much as you love yourself, you need to love others. So think about this, because so, now, now we have to sli slide out of husband and wife. Now we're just sliding into everybody here. Now he's, the, rest, the second commandment applies to the whole church. So he says, church, it's taken for granted that you all love yourself. Now, if you're honest this morning, how many of you would agree? Now, I'm not talking like you looked at yourself in the morning in the mirror and said, oh, I love you so much. You're so handsome. You're so cute. You know, we're not talking, like, whoa, 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 I love you. I love you. No, we're talking about how many of you love yourself in the sense that you spend a lot of time thinking about yourself and what you like and what you want and... and no one wants to put their hand up. Okay, I'll do it for all of you. <laughs> Let's just be honest. We all love ourselves. We spend a lot of time thinking about ourselves. 
our cares, our concerns, our wants, our, 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 me, 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 my, 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 right? We do. The second commandment says, hey, in the same way that you're doing that, you're supposed to do that for others. That's the heart, that's the meaning of the second commandment is like basically get over your bad self, right? (laughs) That's a bill. Get over yourself, love others as you already love yourself. How many of you would believe that this world, even the church, would be radically changed if we honestly did this? Right? Because what's the root of, of conflict? Selfishness. Even in the church, a lot of the conflict in the church is because we come with this attitude of me, me, me. I hope I get this. I hope I get a good sermon. I hope the music's good. I hope the children's good. I hope youth is good. I hope men's is good. I hope women's good. And it's all about me. And we're like, time out. How much transformation would happen in the church if we came here on a Sunday and said, you know what? I want to love everyone here on a Sunday morning in the same way I love me. Wouldn't wouldn't that be a radical way to do church? Wouldn't it be a radical thing to say, Lord, I'm going to church this morning, and please don't let it be about me. Please don't let it be, please don't let me get upset because someone's in my chair. Right? Please don't let me get upset because, because fill in all the reasons you get upset when you come to church, right? All the little things that nitpick at us and all the little things that just are like thorns in our flesh, right? And we miss the whole opportunity to love others because we came to church and we just got bent, right? Oh, I hope, I hope the coffee's good. I hope the ladies picked my tea, you know, and it's, 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 it's amazing, Even in the church, we are consumed with loving ourselves. That's why the second commandment is love others as you already love yourself. So what do you do with that? First thing you got to do is is admit, Lord, I love myself a whole lot. And Lord, I got to confess, I'm kind of selfish. I'm kind of self-centered. Lord... I kind of got to confess that I'm one of them that if everyone did it my way, things would just go better. Anyone? Right? Thank you in the back. Appreciate your honesty. Right? And, and if we would just say, it's not about me. It's not about me. Lord, I just want to love others. As much time and, as, and as, as consumed as I am with me, can I be consumed with someone else? Can I just love someone else with agape love? Right? I, love this, I love this quote by John Piper. It's in your notes. Make yourself seeking the measure of your self-giving. Woo! That will change your life right there. Make yourself seeking the measure of your self-giving. What does that require? Well, okay, Lord, would you be honest? How much self-seeking do I have in my life? And let's say it's this much. Then he says, well, make that how much you love others. Because what do we tend to do? All about me, and then I'll give you the leftovers. If If it's convenient. If it fits. Right? And he says, no, as much as you love yourself, love others that way. How many of you would love to be in a church that does that? Or a home that does that? Or just a friendship and a relationship that just does that, right? Because we've been in relationships, and you, you know people, I know people that 
you're in a relationship and you're trying to have this mutual relationship, but man, it's just draining because it's always about them. Anyone ever been in a relationship where you're like, Lord, I mean, I get it, I'm loving them, but it's like the more I give, the more they take. And it's like goes into the black hole. <laughs> and you're like, oh, hey, right? You don't want to be that person. You want to be the person that says, I get it. I'm, I, my flesh, I'm consumed with me, but Father now supernaturally turned this around so I'm consumed with loving others that way. Let my life just be going that way, right? So this applies to everyone. Love your neighbor as you already love yourself, right? And then 1 John 4, 9 says this, in this the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. In this is love, not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. What does he say there? He, he says, hey, basically church, we're to love one another in the same way agape, self-sacrificial love that God demonstrated in sending Christ. It's amazing, right? This isn't just a husband and wife thing. This is a church thing. We are to love one another with agape, self-sacrificial love, just in the church, just in the church, right? So turn to the person next to you who's a member of the church and just smile at them and say, I love you, man, right? <laughs> right? You're like, oh, oh, <laughs> right? And now you know what that's supposed to mean, self-sacrificial for your benefit, expecting nothing in return. Man, this place would be alive. This place would be so like, who wouldn't want to be here if they came to a place where you were being loved on self-sacrificially? Just come. We just love you. We just love That's what we try to do here, right? We don't, we don't want you to come here and try to convince you. When you come to this church, we're just us. And, and we just try to love in the freedom of the Holy Spirit and just, just want to bless you. We just want to bless you. We just want to bless you, right? We don't expect anything back. We just... We just want you to be blessed. We just want you to be loved, right? And here's the crazy thing as we do this. Look what it says, John 13. A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another, just as I have loved you. There you go. The standard is Jesus, even in the church. Just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Here's the crazy thing. If we will just love like we're supposed to, the world will take note. It's as simple as that. See, there's a shaking going on and, and people are like the foundations and what's going to happen to the country and what's going to happen to the world and what's going to happen to this and what's going to happen to my... And, and into that, Jesus says, hey, just love one another as I have loved you and all the world will know you're my disciples. You don't have to go out there and yell and scream and do all kinds of crazy stuff. He says, you know what? The world will know you're my disciples if you just love one another. Just love one another like Jesus loved you. So here's the thing. Why is that challenging? A, because of the flesh, but also because of this. We get so busy with life. When was the last time you really spent quality time reflecting on how much Jesus loves you. See, how am I supposed to love, 
How am I supposed to love Dale in the same way that Jesus loves me if I don't even take time to let Jesus love blow my mind? <laughs> like, just, if I will let Jesus love me and reflect on how Jesus loves me, then, I wanna, then I'll kind of get how I'm supposed to love Dale. But if I don't do that, then it quickly just becomes something of the flesh and it's just good intentions and, it's, you know, when was the last time you were just overwhelmed with the love of God for you? Like, as you're sitting here, as you're at home, when was the last time you were just floored and said, oh my gosh, Jesus died for me. He loves me that much. It's crazy. It's absolutely crazy to stop and think that as you sit here, the God of the universe, you call him Father, and he loves you. And then it says in Romans, nothing will separate you ever from his love. You're loved, right? You're loved. You really are loved. I, I, I just, you know, there's such a simplicity to that that we want to dismiss that. But it's really the root. When was the last time you just were overwhelmed by the love of God? Just his love. And you stopped striving, and you stopped keeping score, and you stopped beating yourself up, and you stopped, and you stopped, and you just quieted your mind, and you just heard him say, hey, I love you. Hey, you're my child. Nothing will ever separate me from you. I love you. I love you. When was the last time you felt that peace and that joy and the release to simply rest in Father's love? And when you get to that place, here's the thing. You just want to love others with that same thing. It just comes out. It just flows. It's not duty. It's not drudgery. It's like, I really love you, Dale. He's like, what do you mean? He's like, I don't know, bro. I just love you. You know, you're, you're my brother in Christ. And, and, and God's touched my heart with his love for me. And, and I get it so much. I get it. It's not something I have to work at. It just comes out through the spirit, right? And so as we prepare for for communion, I just want to share this verse, this passage from Ephesians 3. This is Paul's prayer for the believers. He says this, I pray that from his glorious unlimited resources, he will empower you with inner strength through his spirit. Then Christ will make his home in your hearts as you trust in him. Your roots will grow down into God's love and keep you strong. And may you have the power to understand, as all God's people should, how wide, how long, how high, and how deep his love is. May you experience the love of Christ, though it is too great to understand fully. Then you will be made complete with all the fullness of life and power that comes from God. Here's my prayer for you in the midst of all the craziness, that you would know the love of God. Quiet at your hearts long enough that you would know the love of Christ, and that would begin to transform your love for others. Okay? Let's pray. Father, thank you for loving us like you do. And Father, we understand the, the passage in 
Ephesians 5 speaking to husbands and how they're to love their wives sacrificially and with a sanctifying love. But then it goes beyond that to the church and that we're to love one another sacrificially. That we're to love one another in the same way that we already love ourselves. That we're not just to be concerned about our own interests, but the interests of others. And so, Father, as we prepare for communion, we hold the communion cup once again as a tangible symbol of love. It's a tangible symbol of love. We do this in remembrance of you, Jesus. And I pray this morning that as we take communion, we would hear you say in our hearts, I love you. You are my child, and I love you. And we would let the love of Christ fill our hearts. Just overwhelm us in this time that we carve out at church. We would sit in the love of Christ this morning.